Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Spies and Lies, an espionage podcast delving into and analyzing acts of espionage throughout history, tracing the exploits of daring spies, covert operations, assassinations, hacking, secret organizations, and more. Co-hosted by me, Omri Rose, who spent his childhood living undercover, thanks to his dear old dad and co-host, Jason, a retired former spymaster of one of the top intelligence agencies in the world. Without further ado... Let's dive into today's episode, World War I, the spark that ignited the world. June 28, 1914, Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophie arrive in Sarajevo, Bosnia on the day of their wedding anniversary. But June 28 also marks another important date for the Serbian people, Vidovdan, the anniversary of the 1318 Battle of Kosovo against the Ottomans, an integral part of Serbian identity which some felt was being stomped on by the Archduke's visit. Little did Archduke Franz Ferdinand or his convoy know that along their pre-planned and publicly known route across town to a reception at Town Hall, driving in open-top cars with little security, that there were assassins waiting for them. As they drove along, the first assassin, with a pistol, freezes, doing nothing, claiming later that he saw a police officer behind him and feared being stopped. Some stories go that the convoy reached another assassin, and again, nothing. Too afraid to act, perhaps even feeling pity for Franz Ferdinand's wife, Sophie, who was pregnant. Reaching another assassin, an equipment malfunction. And finally, reaching yet another assassin, Nadelsko Kabrinovic. A bomb is hurled at the Archduke's car, but the driver, slamming on the gas, causes the bomb to bounce off the car and roll back at the crowd and the next car in the convoy exploding and injuring 20 people. Commotion takes hold. The driver of the Archduke's car speeds away, passing another assassin, Gavrilo Princip, who thinks perhaps the bomb succeeded. But seeing the Archduke alive, he despairs, unable to take action as the car passes him by. But unfortunately for the Archduke and all of Europe, Gavrilo Princip would still have his chance. And thus began the fateful events on a day that changed the world. Yes, when you look at the events that happened, you ask yourself how, how it got to it. So many unplanned scenarios that happened. So amateurish, you would say, but then everything went for them. Everything went wrong and then everything, everything went, went right. right. <laughs> it, was like, it was like it was there for the taking. There's a lot of um, unknowns around what exactly yes. happened. Because there's no real investigation, as far as I know, of what happened. Because afterwards, the World War One broke out and they were occupied by other things. But still, it, it, some, some yeah. interesting topics to discuss. Yeah. And like other um, assassinations that we've covered in this show so far, what's interesting is the aftermath. You know, what they were hoping to achieve versus what actually occurred even though they did achieve the assassination. So, as always, we need to begin with a little bit of background, especially in this one, because yes. World War I and the whole events that kicked it off are very um, confusing. A delicate uh, house of cards that, with one ill turn, collapsed. 
On that fateful day on June 28th in 1914, for 100 years, Europe had experienced relative peace. Only relatively minor skirmishes and conflicts had broken out during those 100 years, and it wasn't since the Napoleonic Wars in the early 1800s had mass conflict ravaged Europe. But this was no coincidence. After the Napoleonic Wars, European powers, monarchs, and statesmen came together to try to prevent any such conflict from occurring again. They created a system called the Concert of Europe, a proto-League of Nations or UN, if you will. This Concert of Europe would come together in a Congress and conference if any conflict was building in order to try to prevent it, settling things peacefully in an agreement with those involved, finding what was fair to all parties, hopefully. In those hundred years, it had worked more or less, but things had changed since the founding of the Concert of Europe. The powers had shifted. The nation of Germany had been born, formed from a collection of smaller states into a singular and powerful nation, dwarfing the resources and power of older European nations, challenging their old world order, especially France, who at the time was the most dominant in the mainland of Europe. Its primacy now questioned. I would say there's another thing to have to remember in this times, and that is that what kind of communications were they between countries? How were they conducted? And that the countries were ruled by basically monarchs who had their own personal agendas mm -hmm. or lack of them, you would say, yeah. in some of them. And, and, and it all collided into one, one epic situation that happened here. If you think also about those 100 years since the Napoleonic Wars to World War I, this is a time of drastic change economically, socially, militarily, technologically, ideologically as well. As you said, monarchs, Europe was essentially still completely ruled by monarchies. Yes. And World War I saw the collapse of most of them. Monarchies who sometimes had family connections to each other. Most of the time had family connections to one another. And they had um, other things in mind and people did not matter. Yes. Now, and that's something to remember, very important. People did not matter. Now, for Germany, this new upstart nation, the problem was that they didn't have any foreign holdings. And also, they didn't have the same respect and rights that the older nations in Europe had. They felt left out. Even though Germany's power dwarfed some of the older established nations near them, like Holland or Belgium, who had overseas colonies. But the balance of power was shifting. Imagine for a moment, if you will, in a modern day setting, that suddenly all of South America unites into this massive conglomerate like the United States of South America. Or if Europe unites, or take Africa even, doesn't have to be the whole continent, but all of the southern parts of Africa unite into the southern African megastate, or the Middle East, you know, imagine if all the Middle East unites, this would create a massive power struggle in the world and a shift in the global balance of things. Imagine all the Sunni states go under extreme khalifat, like ISIS, what did it do to the world? Exactly. I mean, they certainly tried to unite all the Sunni states. You could argue the success. Under, under a certain banner, no, no yeah. success. They took a vacuum and, and tried to create something, and the whole world had to respond because they were going against all the known borders, the known traditions, and known alliances. Yeah. But we're not discussing this this time. But it, it's, it's just to give the, our audience a little bit of an understanding of what kind of... Uh, it's, a, it's a cataclysmic yes. event. It yes. changes everything. Yes. It, it changes the power. I mean, imagine if Russia reformed the USSR even, for instance. It's, it's crazy. Anyway, the leaders on the world stage were also not as strong and decisive as the leaders that forged the concert of Europe. They were aging, weak, or lacking drive. A lot of them had been around for a very long time and were old and conservative and unmoving, paving the way for events that would change the world, engulfing it in war that there would be no returning from. Finally, there was the fear of collapse and withering of what was once great powers against the tides of change that time brought. The Ottoman Empire, for instance, had slowly been collapsing over the past hundred years, losing territory slowly, slowly, chipped away by different nations or independence movements. The Austro-Hungarian Empire also feared the same fate, its empire also slowly being chipped away. The process had already begun even, with different peoples under them demanding freedom and being granted it even under the Concert of Europe in some cases. 
Also, there was the Russian czars, who feared their place in the world. Their empire vast, sure, but it had fallen behind technologically, militarily, and economically. In 1905, in fact, it had lost a war with Japan, the first European nation, actually, to have lost a modern war against an Asian nation. And this led to revolution and a demand to adopt parliament and a constitutional monarchy in Russia, which the Tsar absolutely rejected, the nation on the verge of exploding into a crazy revolution, which, as many of us know, does happen. Serbia, also, was a new nation. It had gained its independence from that very Ottoman Empire that had been collapsing, and it was vehemently nationalistic after gaining its independence. It was also an example for other nations seeking that same statehood and independence from the empires that used to be. Another player in the field of power. Anything you want to say? Many things, but I, I think uh, <laughs> what comes in mind to me at this stage is the assassination didn't really have to lead to World War One, but World War One had to happen even without the assassination. The assassination, it wasn't like a must. On the other hand, World War One or a struggle between the powers would have happened, and that was a trigger. Yeah, it, it's this assassination set off the whole thing, but it was a thing that was ready to be set off, you could say, based on all these factors yes. that we've just said. So, okay, who was Archduke Franz Ferdinand? Well, he was the heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Austro-Hungaria being Austria and Hungary together as an empire along with other nations. In 1908, they actually annexed Bosnia, angering the Bosnian nationalists who wanted to unify all Slavic nations under one government or have their own state like Serbia. Of course, being annexed and being under the Austro-Hungarian Empire didn't allow that. They were also previously under the Ottoman rule. So again, switching one overlord for another... They were angry, a powder keg. Now, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was a very interesting character, quite a uh, paradox in some ways, multi-layered, let's call him. His wife, Sophie, was actually from a lower status than the royal family had approved of. She was not a peasant, but she was of a minor uh, nobility. And their romance and marriage was a scandal. It was looked down on, only allowed eventually under very harsh conditions, such as their children not being allowed to inherit the throne, uh, and them not being allowed to walk or sit next to each other in official occasions, which their visit to Sarajevo was not an official function, hence them being allowed to sit next to each other in the car. In fact, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was never even supposed to be the heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, but the old emperor's son committed suicide, and then the uh, inheritance passed to the Archduke's father, who didn't want it, and then he got it, and basically he was... Uh, a tough, a tough fellow with his own mind, hence the, the marriage, which could have potentially been good in some ways. On the other hand, he was not particularly liked. He was very conservative. He was an avid hunter who, during his lifetime, claimed to have killed over 250,000 animals. And definitely by today's standards, he would have been canceled. He hated Hungarians, even though they were part of his empire. He thought the Slavic people were less than human. He referred to Serbians as pigs, and he was very strongly Catholic, which at the time meant being anti-Jewish and anti-Jesuit. He did, as we've said before, though, love his wife, and he absolutely loved his empire and his country, preserving it being his most paramount objective. Because of that, he was actually vehemently against war with Russia, and he wanted to do anything in his power to prevent it. Russia was the ally of Serbia, which, as we'll come to see, is part of this whole powder keg going off. Also, he put the empire above his own personal beliefs, and he was very sympathetic and a champion towards the cooperation between Austrians, Hungarians, and Slavic people. Unity, that's what he wanted. Reforms and unity, granting greater autonomy to ethnic groups in his empire. Because he knew that there was this uprising and resistance, but he wanted to keep the empire. And the only way to do that is to give people what they want and to cooperate and to do this stuff. So a contradiction in different things. A man with questionable personal beliefs, but good ideas of statehood, some might say for the time. He was fiery, emotional, a powerful presence, passionate and bursting with energy, and he stood out against the more genial and temperate nature that characterized Austrian society at the time, and monarchies at the time, in fact. The tensions were high as Archduke Franz Ferdinand visited Bosnia's capital of Sarajevo in 1914. Of course, the day that he chose to visit was his anniversary with his wife, but as we've said, it was also Vidovdan, the anniversary of the 1318 Battle of Kosovo against the Ottomans. You have to question. Did he know how important that day was to the Serbians? Why did he choose that day? Was he doing it out of bad judgment, as a sign of solidarity, as a sign of spite? I mean, he must have known the trip was planned way ahead of time. I mean, intelligence would have told him this. No, I don't think so. 
I don't think intelligence was was a word used the way we use it today. The intelligence was not for that. Intelligence was was more tactical. It wasn't strategic in that aspect to tell him this is a good day to go or a bad day to go. I, I don't think in those days it had, even if there was someone that his job was to say something like that, his voice would have been hardly been heard. If the monarch wants to travel somewhere, he goes to that place. Well, the Austrian authorities and the Archduke knew of the dangers and the murder attempts and threats against them. Occurrences like that not uncommon during that time in the empire, especially in the Balkan territories, which were recently freed from the Ottomans and this whole power play between the European powers and all this kind of stuff. The Archduke Franz Ferdinand was even quoted as saying days before his travel to Bosnia, I wouldn't be surprised if there were a few Serbian bullets waiting for me. So... He knew, but he was a man no, with gusto. I, I don't think he knew. I mean, it was it was. I mean, they didn't know that there was going to be no, an assassination no. attempt, but knew that it was risky. Yeah, knew that there if was. If anyone a risk should have involved. known something, it should have been the local people on the ground. Well, a member of the Bosnian Parliament urged Archduke Franz Ferdinand to cancel the trip over safety concerns. Also, the Serbian government knew of stuff going on, but it wasn't necessarily in their interest to notify. Correct. Which is this whole larger play of empires over the significance of lives of other people. So a member of the Bosnian parliament had warned the Archduke to cancel the trip. And arriving earlier than planned, the Archduke and his wife Sophie actually went around town on tour before their June 28th car trip. And that evening, when they had returned from their venturing, the Archduke and Sophie met with this Bosnian parliament member who had warned them. Sophie saying, Things do not always turn out the way you say they will. Wherever we have been, everyone down to the last Serb, has greeted us with such great friendliness, politeness, and true warmth that we are very happy with our visit. To which the Bosnian parliament member replied, Your Highness, I pray to God that when I have the honor of meeting you again tomorrow night, you can repeat those words. Tensions were in the air. We've seen this on numerous occasions in stories the of assassinations. Of, yes, Julius Caesar, eyes of Mars. With Lincoln, you know, yes. all this stuff. But I guess you but have how to think... how many of them we hear that didn't happen? So. Exactly. I mean, you have to think that as well, they probably get a lot of threats that don't all the time. happen. You know, even today we have death threats and all the threats time. all the time. And how many do you take seriously? But who was there to me? evaluate it? Was there a unit that was there to evaluate these things? No, it was up to him to make the judgment. He decided to go ahead. So let's see what happens. I suppose definitely having toured the previous day would have given yes. him more... A good feeling. Yeah. Which brings us back to that fateful day. As the Archduke's car sped down their planned route, heading to Town Hall after escaping the explosion. And reaching the Town Hall, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand delivers a speech, his notes smeared with the blood from one of his assistants. Meanwhile, the bomb thrower, Nedelko Kabrinovic, rushes to escape authorities, leaping off a bridge to the river below. But the water is only four inches deep, and he lands hard on his legs, perhaps breaking one or both of them. And in an act of bravado, he grabs for a cyanide poison pill, swallowing it, but it doesn't work. It's defunct, causing Nedelko to throw up, as he's easily apprehended by the guards. Little cyanide pill that didn't yeah. work. And a bomb that had a 10-second fuse that didn't blow up right away when it hit the car. An assassin who was too afraid to shoot before. Another one who was this and that. So far, not looking so good for the assassins. But another of the assassins, Gavrilo Princip, who watched the cars screeching by, despairing at missing his chance of assassinating the Archduke, resigns himself to the missed opportunity and heads to a nearby deli to sulk and grab a drink. A decision that would prove cataclysmic. But who was Gavrilo Princip, the man who would change the world? Well, he was no man at all. He was a 19-year-old young man, boy, youth. He was born in 1894 in a small village in the middle of nowhere to a poor peasant family. He was slight of build and sickly, and his life could have easily been forgotten. But he had an inquisitive mind and went to study in Sarajevo when he was 13, becoming politically aware, joining a group called the Young Bosnians at 17, which was one of several societies dedicated to Bosnian independence and unifying the Serbs, popular with students and young intellectuals at the time. There were a lot of different societies popping up around this time among student bodies and young intellectuals, these cafe societies, of course, hundred years earlier in France, the whole revolution with Napoleon began in a similar kind of manner. So joining a society, it's just like you go to college and you join your fraternity in this society and that society. A lot of talk, maybe less action, maybe more in some. Well, it's always students that they, that they want to change the world. 
have an opportunity and it's a fertile ground to develop things. It's been always been that way mm-hmm. all across t- uh, time. the recent time and the recent history. That's where it all starts. So not surprising that it started there and there was uh, people that were interested to do it. The question is why were the authorities aware of it or why exactly. didn't they stop it or why were they looking at it? That's a different question. If we but, know that uh, these are hotbeds, why don't you have someone on the ground surveying or, yes, and figuring or have things recruit, out? Recruit people there and find out what's going on. But that, again, wasn't frame of mind at the moment. Right. On February 18, 1912, at 18, during an anti-Austrian demonstration, Gervillo is described by fellow students as having gone from class to class, threatening with his knuckle duster all the boys who wavered in coming to the new demonstrations. He was... In it to win it. He wasn't shy. He didn't hide his feelings or his uh, ideas, but the authorities didn't pick up on it. Today, he would be someone you'd have a profile on. He'd be building a... Correct. You'd be more aware of what he's up to. Yeah. He would be on a list somewhere. Hopefully. Because of his involvement in the anti-Austrian demonstrations, he was expelled from his studies. And he walked to Belgrade from Sarajevo, which is quite a walk, by the way, and continued his education there. But then... The First Bosnian War broke out, and he tried to join the Serbian Irregulars. However, he was rejected for being too small and weak. So he continued his studies, and continued associating with different ideas. Early in 1914, Gavrilo was shown a newspaper by a friend, Nadeljko, that same friend who threw the bomb, and the newspaper announced that the Archduke was visiting in June, and it was then that supposedly Gavrilo decided to assassinate him, inspired by other revolutionaries. He convinces Nadelko and another friend, and they set out, also discussing the possibility of killing the provincial governor, which to me sounds like talk rather than actually, oh, we'll kill him and we'll kill him. Again, boasting, maybe not as real as some might think. They needed weapons, of course, and so Gavrilo goes to a contact he had who was a veteran of the Bosnian War. Now that contact introduced into another contact, and then another, eventually, until they reached a group called the Black Hand. Or was it the Black Hand that recruited Gavrilo? More on that momentarily, because on May 1st, one month before Franz Ferdinand's visit, Gavrilo and his two fellow assassins were smuggled into Serbia, trained and armed with four pistols and six bombs by the Black Hand. But who is the Black Hand? Well, the Black Hand was a secret organization founded by members of the Serbian army. Its aims were to unify the South Slavic people. The de facto leader amongst a leadership of ten was a man named Captain Dragutin, also known as Apis, and he might have recruited Gavrilo and his two fellow assassins. We don't exactly know. What do you think is more likely at this point? It's hard to say. I mean, he was motivated to do something. I mean, if you look at it, all the, the talk, it didn't even come to the knowledge of the group that he, there's someone they can make contact with. And you have to ask yourself, where were they? Why didn't they approach him earlier if they thought there was someone to approach? Unless he was more vocal and they didn't want someone so vocal. On the other hand, these guys were mainly military guys. And military guys don't usually trust students. It's a different class, it's a different people. They prefer to, you know, the old school guys, you know, let's let's deal with the, the military way. We don't want these students. We don't believe they will do something. Mm-hmm. So maybe there was an opportunity here for both sides. I don't know. Could have been one and another and the combination and the meeting point in the middle of both. It's hard to know exactly and you would who think that to. If they wanted to do a proper assassination, they would use military people and not use people who had no idea of using a, a pistol before. Because the military guys had the experience, if they really wanted to do something, and it was a real plan, they would have used professionals, not amateurs. Yes, because as we'll come to see, the Black Hand were professionals. They knew what they were doing. On the other hand, it allows them to disclaim any doing afterwards. So, you know, you never know what they had in mind. Exactly, exactly. And the Black Hand was a Serbian group, not a a Bosnian group, of course. Correct. And the Serbians didn't have any interest at that stage to liberate Bosnia in in a big way. That wasn't their aim. They were talking about it, but that wasn't the big goal. It was, yeah, there were other powers at play and moving Russia and, you know, hurting the Austro-Hungarian Empire and all these other things at play. Now, the decision to kill the Archduke was not actually sanctioned by the full executive committee of the Black Hand. If Apis was involved at all, the question remains in dispute. And again, we'll talk more on that in a little bit. You see, the Black Hand and Apis were not unfamiliar with assassinations. In fact, in 1903, they orchestrated and were involved in the murder of the Serbian king and queen. Now, the Black Hand had thousands of members, many of them Serbian officers and officials, and they were essentially a terrorist organization in today's terms, operating 
under the radar for Marvel people think maybe Hydra. You know, they're hidden in plain sight and in positions. They planned political murders, they trained and equipped guerrillas, and they basically stirred trouble wherever they could. They were organized in small cells. The cells didn't know one another, and each cells were supervised by a district committee. Those were organized by a central committee in Belgrade, and the cells only knew the three or four members of their group, plus their superior, in order to keep secrecy. So the Black Hand were legit. They weren't young revolutionaries in universities. That was a professional outfit. Professional outfit, taking the precautions that they could. Could they have heard about Gavrillo and seen him as a potential person to assassinate? Possible. Could he have... It wasn't in their agenda. It wasn't in their agenda. They didn't go out and say, okay, we are in Serbia. We want to liberate our Bosnian brothers, unite Serbia with Bosnia. That wasn't on the agenda at that time. You would have thought, at least with regards to the assassination, as you've said, if they wanted to assassinate him, they would have done it more formally, you know, with professionals, right? Yeah. Yes. Now... Word of the plot allegedly spread through the Black Hand leadership and the Serbian government. The Serbian prime minister even hearing about it. He was informed, in fact, of two armed men who were smuggled across the border. So information wrong because it was three. But it was unclear if the prime minister knew specifically of the assassination plans. Apis was supposedly told not to proceed. Again, it's unclear if Apis made any attempts to stop the assassins or not how much he was involved in it or not. Some say Apis and the Black Hand instructed the assassins to commit suicide after the assassination attempt as well, so they wouldn't have the opportunity to confess about who organized them. But then why give them cyanide pills that didn't work? They were well past their sell-by date. Well, they didn't, no one actually tested to see if it doesn't work. <laughs> so there wasn't like someone, this job is to Excuse test. me, sir, would you like a pill? Thank you. <laughs> we done we tested. If it works, you die. If it doesn't work, then we know we can use it. Reminds no. me of that Monty Python scene with the, the, the mint at the end of the, the meal where he just explodes. <laughs> um, whatever the truth, Gavrilo and the other assassins returned to Sarajevo and prepared for the Archduke's arrival. Gavrilo writing to a former roommate and fellow young Bosnian before leaving Serbia, notifying him of the assassination plan and asking him to recruit more people, which he does, bringing their number up to six would-be assassins. Again, writing in normal posts, sending it along to a friend about assassination, get some more guys we're going to kill. It's very amateurish. The Black Hand really was behind this and really wanted it to be done professionally, unless they were trying to stir trouble by them failing. That's also an option. I don't know. You don't need so many people to assassinate. And as you see, we'll discuss what they actually did and how they planned it. Let's get to it, and then we'll, we'll go into it. Well, more. as we saw with Julius Caesar, yes. you, know, you can have 40 people in a conspiracy, but yes, most of them don't stab. Exactly. Back with Franz Ferdinand, officials wanted to take him on a city tour after the town hall. The situation, they thought, being under control. But the Archduke Franz Ferdinand decided to visit the wounded bystanders in the hospital instead, heading there. The only problem was, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand's driver was Austrian and didn't know the city well or the route, and some say wasn't even informed of the change of direction, leading to... Driving along the same route they survived the bombing attack on, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand's driver pulls down a street, making a wrong turn, Stopping in front of a deli, the very same deli that Gavrilo Princip was now standing outside of as he sulked. Franz Ferdinand's driver, realizing his mistake, struggles to back up the car, which stalls. And seizing the opportunity, Gavrilo Princip approaches, drawing his pistol and not saying a word. He fires two shots from less than two meters away, striking Sophie in the abdomen and grazing the jugular of Archduke Franz Ferdinand's neck, mortally wounding them. Reaching for his wife, Sophie, the Archduke implores her, Sophie, dear, don't die. Stay alive for our children. Not realizing his own life was moments from ending, as the wound in his neck would prove fatal. A voice asked the Archduke, Are you badly hurt? To which the Archduke replied, It's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. Repeating the phrase over and again, softer and softer, until he spoke no more. Those two shots fired would end up being the first of World War I, which began a month later, and would eventually become known as the Great War. A war that would end up seeing over 20 million people dying as a result of the conflict. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lucky turn, literally, and a lucky turn of events. For Gavrilo, anyway. Let's look at it, what they had planned and what, what actually happened. When I was looking at this episode and I was thinking to myself, here you have four or five people trying to assassinate the Archduke, but actually the one that is supposed to be the most dedicated dedicated, and the one who has, the, has most motivation to do it, he's actually put on the last spot. Why wouldn't you put him on the first spot? You would think... You're the, first, you're the one that really wants to do it. It hasn't started yet. You would want to be the first one to go and not the last one. So To get the glory as well. Well, not only to get the, yeah, to get the glory, but it's not only for the glory. I mean, if the others are afraid... Which they ended up being. Or, not, or malfunctioning the, some of the weapons. Yes, it, it can happen, but why, why be last? And, this, and the other thing that was interesting for me, that they, they already had in mind that they might not succeed. So everybody had a station where he was waiting to go and do something. And they didn't even prepare themselves properly because the la- the, the one before the end or the last guy didn't Jumping even know off, his terrain. Know yes, river, and he yeah. jumped into a river that he thought was deep and then he broke his legs and then uh, he t- took a pill that didn't work. And they didn't even try the pills to test if they worked. Well, we talked about that. <laughs> they, would have, they would have had one less or yes. one of being very sick. So maybe all of them, did all of them have a pill? We yes. don't know. Apparently they were all supplied with pills. But the only one to use them was, was the was the guy that jumped over the cliff. Well, Gavrilo tried to swallow his cyanide pill, but he was stopped. Um, I mean, it didn't do the job. He, okay, some so say he it, swallowed it and it didn't do the job. Others say he was stopped. So here you are, you have at least four on the line. But the main guy who was the, the one that was the most motivation to do it, or motivated to do it, was last. So that's interesting for me. I mean, why was he last? Then you would say, well, you would think there was an explosion. So he heard that. They know something happened. He knows that. Why not escape and move out of the area? Why still stay on the route? You went to a deli to have a drink. Okay, you want to compose yourself. But where was the escape plan? I mean, okay, if it succeeded, that's what you're supposed to do. He didn't know if it succeeded or didn't. He was annoyed. Well, he saw it didn't succeed when the car drove by. Only when the car drove by. But he did know there was something was happening. So why what, is that? Was he supposed? To, that's the planning. I mean, what what did you do when the success? It, it wasn't well planned. So it wasn't well planned. So it, you can see that it was the black amateurist. hand did not plan it. No, it was it was would, okay. Let's you stand here, try. You stand here, we'll try. Each one has a go at it, and then what? 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 And then and then swallow the pill, and off we go. Let me counter argument here. Perhaps the thinking was: We'll each stand in a different location. Because if an opportunity arrives in this location, take it. If it arrives in this location, take it. Because if we all stand in the same place, maybe that will be the moment where the guards are all surrounding him and we wouldn't have a clear shot. So there's that counter argument that they spread out to maximize their opportunities to assassinate him rather than all trying to pinpoint, let's say, in one particular spot giving each other group courage and multiple attempts in one location. Yeah, but look at uh, Principe in the end. I mean, he was, how long? He was waiting for maybe half an hour, 40 minutes after the convoy was supposed to pass. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he knew Not something. Was, he was supposed to know that something really didn't go according to plan. He wasn't like waiting, 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 and all of a sudden the car came along. So why wait in the middle? Why still wait? If, if, if it's, He was if having it's, a drink. He's having a drink. You don't do it. So if you look why at not? For, for, he wasn't caught because it was still no investigation. They couldn't get hold of him. If they would have caught one of them and said, "Where? Well, there's any more conspirators? Yes, where?" And he'll he would say where he's going, but he wasn't actually where he was supposed to be anyway. But he would it would have known there'll be more conspirators. So before they even went out again, 
They didn't even check that there's more people. Now you're talking about the Archduke's security yes. for forces yes. and everything. And the, and the people, they said, okay, is there more people here? Is it a, lone, is it a lonely wolf? I mean, that was the basic question. You, you have someone in your hand who you know was trying to do something. You're going to go out to the streets again because you have an opportunity that not to, and you still do it. That's Forget the driver. It's, 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 it was a wrong, wrong decision. Yeah, I mean, you have the Archduke, who's a, a powerful, passionate guy who decides to go to the hospital, which you can question that. But even before that, the decision was to continue the tour, which is also as you've said, a bit strange. There was an assassination attempt. You don't continue as planned. You canvass the area. You secure your VIP. Again, today's security, and though, and we're looking about over 100 years now, or 100 years ago, basically. More. More. The world has changed. Yeah. We, we've learned from, the world has learned Driving from Driving in an open-top car. Open-top car is, is we've, it took us a long time to change that. But even minor look at security the, detail. Even the, the Pope, the Pope mobile, even had to yeah, try to he, attempt. There his was life. an attempt on the Pope, yeah. But he has so, a lot of security around him. Yes, but still, so we haven't learned that much about that. And then, of course, in uh, the Kennedy affair as well, open car shooting. So we're not going to go into that. So yeah. we, we didn't learn about not traveling around with open cars. But if you have an assassination attempt, you move away. You don't go back and allow yourself to be exposed because you don't know how many people are out there. So that was, I think, a critical, critical... But then there's the theory that lightning doesn't strike the same place twice, right? You don't know what's planned and you don't know what's planned. The driver not knowing where to go, of course, that's not a clever thing, but I won't blame it on the driver. I mean... Well, he already saved them with the bomb earlier, so... (laughs) You know... Potentially. There are some versions of the story that Franz Ferdinand even grabs the bomb and throws it, but thats I only saw that in a few places. (laughs) So when you look at it from that aspect, the driver, of course, you have to have someone who knows the road and knows the the routes. You have to have someone local. But the driver was an Austrian who came probably with a car. It was his personal driver. He came with a car. It was his chauffeur. Yes, he came with a car with him from Vienna. Why? Because there was no planes at the time. They just drove in, I suppose. And it was finally their way to sit together because it wasn't an official visit, which also meant that the security detail was less because it wasn't an official visit. It was just them on holiday. It also raises questions, you know, if there was this attempt and your wife is there and she's pregnant and there was a great love between them. You're going to risk it and go out again? Again, maybe this idea of unity and showing, maybe he chose to come that day because he knew it was the important day for the Serbs. And he wanted to make a point that I'm with you. I understand. And that's why he wanted to go to the hospital as well. Well, it was very noble of him to try and go to the hospital. I thought that was a very nice humane touch about it. Absolutely. But you don't do it. You don't know it when you don't know what your situation is. So, Or you do it, but not like that. Correct. So... Many mistakes happen. You put on a big overcoat to conceal all your fancy, shiny medals so you're not as identifiable. Well, <laughs> there was an attempt on your life. You were lucky to get away with it. You don't continue on as if nothing happened. Well, of course, they didn't know about the other people. They only knew about the guy who threw the bomb. Of course. At the time. Well, the Archduke, when he was shot, was shot in the neck, as we said. And he was wearing a coat with a high collar, which was sewn together to improve the Archduke's appearance in public. It needed to be cut open to get at the wound. Some say that it's possible that if this step didn't need to be taken, they might have been able to prevent the Archduke's death. Yet another in the series of what-ifs. What if Gavrilo went to a different deli? What if the driver didn't stop there? A lot of what-ifs. The word of the assassination spread across Europe like wildfire and more than 5,000 Serbs were arrested in Bosnia, many of them hanged. Gavrilo was thrown in prison due to his young age. He was, in fact, 27 days too young to receive the death penalty by Austrian law. Part of Gavrilo's words in trial were, The political union of the Yugoslavs was my basic idea. I am a Yugoslav nationalist, aiming for the unification of all Yugoslavs, and I do not care what form of state, but it must be free from Austria. In my opinion, every Serb, Croat, and Slovene should be an enemy of Austria. Nedelko, his bomb-throwing assassin friend, said, We are not criminals. We are honest people, animated by noble sentiments. We are idealists. We wanted to do good. We have loved our people, and we shall die for our ideals. All the main assassins said they aimed for the destruction of Austria-Hungary and the liberation of the South Slavs as the motivation for their deeds. 
Gavrilo and Nadelko were caught, as we've said, but both held out and didn't give up names. It was only when another of the men was picked up and interrogated in a random spot check kind of thing that the man broke and confessed, the other conspirators then being brought forward. The oldest involved in the plot was 28 at the time. Most were in their early 20s, and the youngest was 17. That 17-year-old actually lived to see the year 1990. So think about that. This is not ancient history. The guy who was involved in this assassination lived to see 1990. He saw MTV, people! <laughs> Many of the assassins were friends before joining the plot. And they were connected that way. In prison, on January 1916, Gavrilo unsuccessfully tried to hang himself with a towel. And not long after, at 23, he died due to complications of tuberculosis and poor conditions. His legacy is mixed, some viewing him as a revolutionary hero, others a terrorist, each new age and group using his story for their own means during their own times. Several of the assassins expressed regret after the fact, saying they wouldn't have been involved in the act if they knew it was going to lead to World War I. Which kind of leads to the fact they didn't really know what they were doing. They were just angry young men who wanted to take their revenge out on Austria, the oppressor, and let's kill the Archduke when they didn't realize the Archduke was actually the guy who was more friendly to them than others. In fact, he was one of the only people defending them. Yes. During a Serbian court-martial in French-occupied Salonika, between 1916 and 17, Alpis, the Black Hand leader, testified that he organized the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand through Gavrilo Princip, using his power over elements of the Serbian military, but also the Black Hand. Now, is this trying to take credit for a big act? Was it true? How much involvement? As we've said, seems to us that if the Black Hand really wanted the assassination to happen, they would have organized it better and not entrusted it to some kid with no training and bad equipment that they gave them. As we've said, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand was actually considered the greatest champion and friend of the Serbs in the court of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and with him gone, there was no restraining voice, pointing to his death as an example of what Serbs did to their greatest champion. Not long after, the Austro-Hungarian Empire declared war on Serbia, using the assassination as an excuse, some might say, to what they already wanted, more territory from the collapsed Austro-Hungarian Empire, and this power struggle of empires. Germany, Austro-Hungaria's ally, supported them. However, Russia, Serbian's ally, supported them. Now France was also Russia's ally. So when Germany declared war against Russia, France was obligated to declare war on Germany. And slowly, like dominoes, falling one after the other, the entire European continent was engulfed in war, each nation taking their side and drawing their lines in the sand as the spark in Sarajevo ignited the world it's sad sad because you see what coincidences and misunderstandings lead to in the end and what you when you throw a stone in the water the waves that happen afterwards you don't know you can't stop them and you don't know what it leads to a chain of events a chain of events that this is just uh, as we said in the beginning did it have to end up in war no no there was no reason really to go to war over it but each side had its own interest and they were, they were just locked into all the arrangements and treaties and feelings that they have to do it. And again, I have to emphasize that leaders, it was easy for leaders to make decisions because in the end, deaths and people did not matter that much. Well, it was also 100 years since the last big war and technology had changed a lot, they didn't know what this new war was going to be. Part of the reason for the casualties of World War I was the fact that they were fighting a modern war with In old tactics. Old, old war or tactics. Or trying to do all sorts of new things or using forces they had I mean, had look, you had, you had horse regiments yes. and you had tanks in the same war, yes. you know, it's and planes. It's just a, of course chemical weapons as well, the mustard gas, all this stuff was horrible. It, it's strange, you know, when you think of World War I in the West, traditionally, you usually think of Germany versus France, England, and Russia. Whereas in fact, Russia and Germany and England and France were the allies of the nations that really kicked it off, Austro-Hungarian Empire and Serbia. The actual initial conflict didn't really mean anything. And that just goes to show what we talked about in the beginning, that there was a lot more at play 
It was this game of empires, a game of thrones, if you'd imagine you live or you die. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. It showed the imp- importance of, of Germany because the Austrians felt that they had to have the support of the Germans before they did anything. Absolutely. And that was crucial to what what was up, they were up to. And it's interesting that I think uh, the Kaiser, after the meeting, took uh, three weeks off and wasn't able to communicate with him. And you think this is a, the heat of, of, the, of a conflict and the leader of the, of the nation is off somewhere for three weeks and you can't make contact with him. What I found the most intriguing, that we, we didn't discuss it, but when you looked into it in, in more detail is that there was a discussion between the ambassadors of Austria and ambassador of Russia in Belgrade to try and solve the problem. After the fact. After the fact. Yeah. Basically, that was the main channels of the Russians and the Austrians to close the deal, to make it happen, and each yeah. couldn't do... And then the Russian diplomat had a heart attack and died before they could he, solve it. He had <laughs> a heart attack in the house of the Austrian... Ambassador, as they were trying to sign the agreement. Again, it's like everything goes against you. It's they, like, were, they were a moment away from a moment, preventing yes, war. And then and having a, finding a way to, to solve the problem. They were authorized by the respective, you'd say, countries or monarchs to solve the problem. And again, all of a sudden, one blames the other for what's going on. So it was like it was like meant to happen. It was like everything was aligned in a way where this was just going to happen. Nothing you could do would stop it. You'd think, you know, the assassin didn't do it. He didn't do it. The bomb didn't go off. Okay, so it's not going to happen. No, he goes down the street. That's where he goes. Everything lined up for it to happen. And if you you ask me, what do I think about the whole thing? What I looked at it, and I look at today's world, and I look at at um, what happened then. I think one of them, one of the things that that is important for governments is to have backdoor capabilities of communications between themselves, not only the official way, but the unofficial way. And sometimes you can solve a lot of the problems if you have a way to talk to each other, even though it seems that in the newspapers and in the, in the press things are terrible, you need back channels. back channels to talk to each other and to make sure that each one understands exactly what's going on and what are the problems and how are the way to solve things. And that was lacking because the moment the ambassadors were not able to play the game, in those days the ambassadors had a very important role in that aspect, then the Russians were blind. They couldn't yeah. do anything. They didn't have influence. And these people knew people and they you know, they have the connections. Well, we, th- we think about uh, Gordievsky that we covered and how Russia thought you know, they're on the brink of nuclear war exactly. and then through these back channels was able exactly. to, to calm things exactly. down. And, and then it was not available. And you know, the, the leader is away for three weeks. You can't make any connections. Uh, this guy doesn't know what's going on. The French are going to visit uh, Russia. They, 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 there was all sorts of the things. The Russian going. has a heart attack. You bring replacement. He doesn't know what's the going Russian on. The Russian doesn't know what's going time. It doesn't have the contacts. And uh, that's when, you, when the war breaks out. And then all of a sudden, you're in a catastrophic uh, situation. Well, all you need is the communications. Okay, today is a different world. And it would surprise people to know how much communication exists between places people wouldn't expect in back channels. Right. And it's usually given to the people who know how to keep secrets. And the ones who keep secrets are usually people who know how to work in mysterious ways. Yes, mysterious ways. Sometimes they're called masters. Was Gavrilo merely a tool used in the movement of nations, a pawn in the game of chess of nations? No, I don't think he even thought he was playing that game. He he didn't, but... The black hand utilizing him for their own means. I don't and think any of them thought that this will develop to that. I don't think in any uh, in any event it happened. I don't think so. It just, as I said in the beginning, conflict was the, inevitable. It was there to happen. It was going to happen. They needed the trigger, and that was the trigger. Everybody knows it in the history books. It's it's mentioned as well. I'm not going to try and and say it isn't. It was the a trigger that could have been avoided. But there probably would have been another trigger somewhere else along the line. We've seen this time and time again. A negligence of preparation, ignoring threats, not taking them seriously, not properly protecting oneself. Why is it these leaders, we've seen so far, don't protect themselves? What's the train of thought here? The train of thought in my mind is that if you don't get the right information, you don't make the right decision. And if you feel that everybody loves you and all the information you get is positive, 
like Sophia said, oh, we meet these people and they all like us and everybody likes us. But you don't really get the real information that there is undercurrent, there's underground, there's uh, there's people who are not happy. But they were warned, they were told, you know, clearly Franz Ferdinand knew as well. He thought he was going to get a gunshot at him. And Did he things. get it from his intelligence? Did he get it from, from organizations that that's their job? That was one of the, the fundamental problems. At those times, you could say there was no strong intelligence organizations. And if there was something, they were feared that they will take over, like in Russia or other places, that someone who is too strong, then you have to cut him down because you're feared, you fear that these organizations are becoming too powerful and then you're afraid of them. Mm-hmm. So you don't want them to become too powerful. And that's one of the, um, the problems of, of, of these uh, regimes. But coming back to your question... Very difficult for leaders to think that they're not loved by everyone and that someone's going to hurt them. And they don't want to be shown that they are afraid or scared for different reasons. For Sometimes it's for election reasons and sometimes it's for their own ego. And they're willing to take risks. And you know, sometimes, as we said, uh, when you die, you become immortalized. Yeah. For good or for bad. Yeah. Hapless assassins getting lucky once again. Sometimes these things happen. Yeah. Unbelievable. If you look at it from the point of view of it, the cast. It's a comedy mm, of errors yes. in some ways. You know? Yes. A second chance like that, sitting in the coffee. Did he pay for the, the sandwich he was eating? Uh, that's been disproven. He wasn't eating a sandwich. He was, what was he eating? He just he, drank? He just had a schnapps maybe or something. Uh, did he pay for it or did he, before he left? Did he take a receipt? Who knows? Yeah. We maybe that know. shop owner still, still needs to get paid. But, you know, he sees that. Again, interesting from his point of view. Mission-oriented. That means plan didn't work out. He didn't have to get permission from someone. What am I going to do? What am I What am I supposed to do? Shall I do it or shouldn't I? Well, there was no leadership. Or if there was, so he might have been again, called the leader. Again, he didn't have to report to someone somewhere else. You would think if it was an organized situation, would they make contact with them, say what happened, get instructions? I mean, you would think that if someone organized it, to say, okay, if you succeed, take the pills and die. Or if you don't succeed... Rendezvous somewhere. There was nothing like that. So that we was, know of. That we know of. But we, we based upon what we know, and we know that there was nothing. Well, they were we supposed know. to kill themselves afterwards, with, supposedly. Supposedly. With cyanide pills, it didn't work. Yes. Well, they should have tested them. We said yes. that. Yes. <laughs> so what could have been done? How many mistakes were made? How many stages could things have been prevented at? Well, the first thing you mentioned is, should he have arrived in Sarajevo on the day he did? I don't think he had a reason to think that he shouldn't. He said to himself, they know I like them. I'm not against them. It's part of my empire. I want to show that as well that I can go to these places, even if it's a day that they don't like. And I'm sure on the calendar, there's all sorts of other days that could be looked at from different places. And I don't think it was, you look at it, it wasn't the date. Okay, if it would have had the visit a week later or two weeks later, it would have done, they would have tried to assassinate him anyway. So it wasn't that date that made the difference. So I wouldn't regard the date. So that was one mistake, you would say. But the big mistake was not understanding that there were groups who were serious about trying to assassinate a leader and that he had no people on the ground to tell him that this, that's the situation. That was the mistake from his point of view. So you're on the Archduke's security team. What do you do? What do you advise? Well... We talked about it. I mean, the moment you have an assassination attempt, you don't risk it. Go and go to the street again. Mm-hmm. You don't know if there's more people out there trying to do something. You don't take a chance. I think it should be learned in every school book from now on that, you know, if you have this here, this is the situation. You don't tempt it. You, you got lucky. You don't know what's out there. You secure yourself. Put away until you know exactly what's going on. You don't start wandering the streets. So or stay in the town hall until night. Go falls. somewhere else. No, you, you, you're. Go that's what people else. do, yeah. and that's what security agencies do these days. You're swift away to a safe house or somewhere else where they think you're safe until they see the situation. You don't start wandering the streets 20, 30 minutes later, still with these people around who don't even know what's going on. What about before? What about when you're just about to set off on this procession and you've heard these warnings and different things? What do you do? How many of them have we heard before? If you ignore, if you don't, let's put it this way. There's probably, every time you go outside as a leader, there's someone's going to say to you, there's something going to go against you. Do you don't go outside? So a leader makes a decision. Mm -hmm. In the end, it's his decision, maybe. 
do I do it or I don't? If there's no real intelligence, you know, you're going to go on the street. Anything else you want to say? If you look at it from the point of view of the objective and from the point of view of history, did Yugoslavia stay one? No. No. So was there enough glue to put everybody together to become one nation, even though they had the opportunity to do it? And they did after the Second World War under Tito, where he got the United, all the Slav nations under one country. Did it last? No. It didn't last only until a little bit after Tito died and it was disintegrated. So if you look at it from the historical point of view, looking back, and if we're analyzing it now, not when Yugoslavia was Yugoslavia, then you would say, what was it for? What was it for? Anyway, the Serbians don't want to be with Sarajevo, and the Slovenians don't want to be the Croats, and the Bosnians don't want to be with the Macedonians. So what was it all about, really? It's sad in some ways that, you know, in the, in the, and you said the guy lived until 1990. So he lived through the turmoil of, yes, you would say, look, the Yugoslavia, look, we, this is what we dreamed of. But then what happened afterwards? They had the opportunity, they were, they were one nation, but they decided it's not enough. Yeah. It's just not enough to keep them together. And each one wanted to go his independent way. And he also would have lived to see his friend Gavrilo be martyrized, you know, held up as an example in Yugoslavia. But then when it toppled to be held up as this authoritative image of the old regime, you know, each, like I said before, each different time period and leader taking what they needed from the story. So if you look at it from the historical point of view, it was, uh, it had no meaning i mean it had a big meaning but for for the assassination it didn't achieve in the end what they he wanted to achieve it wasn't the goals of the assassination, assassination were, were not, not achieved there. we're not there we're not it wasn't there it was there was not enough glue to put them all together in the end so once again the assassination did not achieve the goal set out by the assassin Maybe in the short term, yes. In the short, if you would have asked uh, this question when Yugoslavia was a Yugoslavia, you would say, yes, you see, that was the reason why they did it. But we're not in these days, we're in a different days. So we know now that it, it didn't achieve it. So I wonder if you uh, say when they killed Julius Caesar, well, look, Rome is a democracy now. You know, Italy is a democracy. <laughs> well, achieved its thing. listen to Julius Caesar and see what we have to say about that. It's a different, uh, different scenario. It is. But I don't think Brutus is seen as a bad guy. And this guy, I think, because of the Second World, because of the First World War, which led to the Second. Well, it led to the Second, but because of the World Wars, yeah. then anybody who ignited it as he did can't be looked in the favorable eye because look at all the damage it made to the world. Except Serbs today still do look at him in a positive light, some. Maybe. And he still has living relatives. Okay, we have to ask them if you want to. <laughs> but don't take a pill with you when you do it. We will end our episode with an excerpt from the poem For the Fallen by Lawrence Binion about the toll of World War I. Solemn the drums thrill Death, august and royal, sings sorrow up into immortal spheres. There is music in the midst of desolation, and a glory that shines upon our tears. They went with songs to the battle. They were young, straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. They were staunch to the end against odds uncounted. They fell with their faces to the foe. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. This was Spies and Lies. Thanks for listening. And remember, you might want to check that pill before you swallow it. <laughs> Better off with friend. <laughs> Spies and Lies is a Grumpy Golem production, with original scoring and mastering by Julian Dussault. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to share with your friends and leave a comment or review wherever you're listening from, or check out our Facebook page. If you have any questions or subjects you'd like for my father and I to cover, drop us a message, and we'll do our best to get back to you. Until next time. And we are... Rolling, 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 rawhide. How are you feeling today? Feeling good. Episode 11. Feeling good. Number 11. Like huh? I should.
You know, you know that song. This is eleven. This is eleven. Okay. Presumably. Maybe. Maybe. We'll Can't see. wait for thirteen. For thirteen. Why thirteen? Oh, because we know what thirteen is. Okay, you're excited for thirteen. I don't know. Maybe we should uh, include these little opening sections uh, before the podcast. Give a little flavor of us. We'll see. Maybe I'll do it. If you have time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.